Good morning again, and welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. So last week, we read Jesus' first parable in the Gospel of Mark, and that's known as the Parable of the Sower. Many of Jesus' most well-known and memorable teachings came in the form of parables. A parable can be a short story, a proverb, a saying, maybe even a kind of riddle that might seem inconsequential when you first hear it, but actually has eternal significance. We learn that parables serve a dual purpose. A good parable can both reveal the truth while concealing the truth. It's a hard saying that two people can hear, and yet only one might actually understand. One person may have ears to hear, and another may not. And that's not a bug. It's a feature. It's part of how parables are intended to work. One hard-hearted sinner will hear a parable and get absolutely nothing from it. They may even be hardened all the more. But another hard-hearted sinner may hear the same parable, and their heart will be softened. And they will respond to Jesus' teachings with faith and obedience. And the parable of the sower certainly met all of those criteria. On the surface, it appeared to be relatively simple, practical, and even trivial story about farming or gardening. But as Jesus later explained to his disciples, it was much more than that. The parable wasn't really about farming or gardening. It was about the varying responses people give to the gospel compared to different kinds of soil. Some will hear the gospel and respond negatively from the get-go. Others will hear it and appear to respond positively, but ultimately fall away in times of hardship. Others will hear it and simply choose to pursue something else. And still others will hear it and respond with genuine faith. Now, if you're in that last category... Good soil, where the gospel has taken root, grown, withstood persecutions and temptations, and produced a harvest. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus, then you should thank God for making you good soil. We should praise God for graciously giving us ears to hear. We should trust God to continue cultivating us to bring him even more glory. And like the sower with his seed, we should work to spread the gospel everywhere. But as we move ahead in chapter 4, we pick up right where we left off, looking at three much shorter parables. And each of these parables teaches us something about who Jesus is and what he's doing. Two of them specifically focus on the kingdom of God. Which, if you think back to Mark chapter 1... Jesus said the kingdom of God was at hand in his very first sermon. But what exactly is the kingdom of God? Christians like to talk about it a lot, but what is it? And what exactly do these parables tell us about the kingdom of God? What do they mean to Jesus' original listeners way back then? And what do they mean to us today? So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Feel free to use our Bibles here if you didn't bring one and take one home if you don't have one. But before we move forward, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. 
Thank you for bringing us together every week, whether it's 60 degrees the way it was last Sunday or 30 degrees the way it is today, whether we've had wonderful weeks or terrible weeks, whether we come here on top of the world or whether we come at rock bottom. Thank you that you bring us together and that all of us at every moment, every season, every circumstance that we encounter, we come and we throw ourselves at the foot of your son's cross. Again, no matter how things fare for us in this world, our hope, our trust, our faith all revolves around the cross. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death and his resurrection. We thank you for his ascension. And, Father, we look forward to his return. And in the meantime, Lord, help us be faithful. Sanctify us, grow us, shape us, mature us, help us produce a harvest. Father, help us persevere through challenges and hardships, which so many in our church over the past few months have been encountering. So many different shapes and forms to those hardships. But, Father, I pray that you would watch over us. And again, I ask that our worship would be honoring to you this morning, that it would be beneficial to us no matter where it is that we're coming from. And, Father, again, we just love you. We thank you for the privilege of gathering here and the privilege of calling ourselves your sons and daughters. We love you. We worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Starting in Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's some debate about who Jesus is speaking to in these verses. Is it the same large crowd that heard the parable of the sower? Or is it a smaller group of just his closest disciples? But either way, Jesus starts out with a rhetorical question. Do you cover a lamp so that it won't give light? Well, the answer is obvious. Of course not. That defeats the whole purpose of a lamp. A lamp under a basket or bed is just as pointless as your most beautiful painting hung in a closet where no one will see it. Your best kitchen appliance put in the bathroom where no one will use it. At least I hope not. In the same way, the truth about Jesus, who he is, what he's come to do, and the kingdom that he's ushering in with him, that's not meant to be hidden. It may be a kind of secret to the disciples at this moment in the story, but it won't be that way forever. And then once again, Jesus talks about ears. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He takes it a step further and specifically tells his listeners to pay attention to what you hear. Listen up, disciples. Why? Because what he's saying is important. And that's especially the case of his closest followers. Those who get private explanations of the parables that the crowds don't get. 
they better pay attention. Because those who hear and understand Jesus' teachings, the truth about who he is, what he's doing, and God's kingdom that he's brought with him, those who hear and understand will be rewarded. But those who do not hear and do not understand will lose everything. So by now, the disciples are especially ready to listen. They have cleaned out the earwax. They've turned their phones on silent. And they are focusing really hard on Jesus and Jesus alone. They want to pay attention. They want to have ears to hear. So what's the next thing that Jesus is going to say? What's the next puzzling parable that they need to try and figure out? What's so important for them to hear and understand? Well, that's when Jesus begins speaking much more specifically about the kingdom of God. Starting in chapter 4, verse 26. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So two more parables, both about the kingdom of God and both involve seeds. In the first parable, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a seed sown in the ground. The farmer plants it. But after that, for the most part, nature takes its course. Now, some might object that in real life, farmers can't just plant a seed and leave it alone if they want it to grow. It needs to be regularly nurtured. But some plants are more high maintenance than others. And for the sake of Jesus's point, imagine a very low maintenance seed. And keep in mind that this is a parable about the kingdom of God, not a technical guidebook about how to successfully grow plants. And after it's sown, the seed basically takes care of itself in the story. The farmer might not even think about that seed again until it's time to bring in the harvest. And then we get to the second parable, the one about a mustard seed, the smallest seed that Jesus's hearers could possibly imagine. We have a picture of a mustard seed on the screen, and you can see just how tiny that mustard seed really is. A mustard seed is so small that you might wonder if anything of significance could ever come out of something so minuscule. If you were sitting on your kitchen counter, you'd think it was nothing more than a crumb. But with time, that seed from such humble beginnings can become a tree. Some were known to grow up to 10 feet tall. And that once tiny seed can one day provide shade and protection for numerous creatures around it. Okay, so we've picked apart the parables on the surface level. But what do they mean on a deeper level? The parable of the sower wasn't really about farming or gardening. 
And these parables aren't really about plants or seeds. They're about the kingdom of God. The eternal sovereign rule of God across time and space. When many of Jesus' listeners heard the phrase, the kingdom of God, they had very specific ideas in mind. They pictured ownership over the physical land of Israel, the temple standing proudly in Jerusalem, a descendant of David sitting on his father's worldly throne, the enemies of God's people defeated, and all the other trappings we think of when we hear the word kingdom. They're picturing power, wealth, influence, respect. But these parables tell us that the kingdom of God that Jesus is ushering in is not exactly what those listeners were expecting. As Jesus tells Pilate just before he's sentenced to death, his kingdom is not of this world. And because it's not of this world, that means that it will not meet the worldly expectations that many had of it, the worldly standards that many had set for it. So what do we learn about the kingdom of God from these parables? Let's start with number one. In that parable, the seed was going to grow no matter what the farmer did. The farmer planted it, but from there he went on about his daily life, waking, sleeping for who knows how long, and never really even stopped to think about what that seed is doing. He doesn't know. He doesn't think about it. Well, perhaps Jesus is teaching us that his kingdom, God's kingdom, is not dependent upon the disciples. It's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon me. It has a power all its own, even if that power isn't always clearly seen. The kingdom of God has already been ushered in with the first coming of Christ. It was confirmed with his death and resurrection. And one day it will be truly and finally displayed with his second coming for all the world to see. The world may not recognize God's kingdom now or even think about it now. But it has come and it is coming. And it doesn't depend upon the disciples, doesn't depend upon you and doesn't depend upon me. Do we get to participate in it? Absolutely. Does God use us in it? Absolutely. But it doesn't depend on us. And that is incredibly freeing. That is incredibly relieving to know that the kingdom of God is growing and it's not dependent upon us. Another lesson from this parable might be that the kingdom of God isn't necessarily quick. Seeds don't grow overnight. Let's be honest. Jesus has been gone for roughly 2,000 years. Have you ever stopped and wondered if he's ever actually going to come again? Have you ever questioned whether or not all this stuff about God's kingdom and crucifixions and resurrections and ascensions, is all that stuff really true? Because if it were, wouldn't Jesus have been here by now? But Jesus insists that the kingdom of God is growing. Even if it seems slow. Even if it's methodical. As Jesus said about the lamp, what's hidden now will one day be revealed. 
What's secret now will eventually come to light. Our all-knowing God will bring his kingdom about in his good timing, even if it seems slow to us. And finally, the first parable about the kingdom of God reminds us that one day there will be a harvest. When Jesus references a harvest or reaping in the Gospels, more often than not, it has to do with God's day of judgment, the day of Jesus' future return. And while it's not exactly popular to think this way, talk this way, or even preach this way in our day and age, it's worth remembering that one day a harvest will come. One day Christ will return as ruler and judge. One day God's kingdom will be established on earth as it is in heaven. And those who are welcomed into God's kingdom will be those who had ears to hear the truth about Jesus. Even more will be given to them. But those who rejected Jesus will lose everything. But then what about the second parable? What does it teach us about the kingdom of God? Again, the mustard seed was nothing to write home about at the start. It was tiny, easy to overlook, unimpressive, not much different from a speck of dust. By worldly standards where bigger is almost always better, the mustard seed is insignificant. What good could possibly come from it? Well, I think we see some parallels to the kingdom of God. Think about the humble beginnings of Jesus' life on earth, born under questionable circumstances to those not in the know, delivered in rustic, to put it nicely, surroundings, welcomed by rough-around-the-edges shepherds, and raised in the totally irrelevant town of Nazareth. And then to top it all off, think about the end of Jesus' life on earth, when the supposed Messiah, the person who this kingdom is all going to revolve around, ends up crucified between two criminals, not exactly awe-inspiring at face value. But the kingdom of God that Jesus is ushering in, not despite those humble circumstances, but through those humble circumstances, will one day grow into something great. It won't stay small, humble, unimpressive, and almost invisible forever. The same way Jesus didn't stay on the cross, dead, and buried forever. One day this kingdom will be seen in all its power, glory, and majesty. And all of his disciples will be blessed by it. This kingdom will provide an eternal shade, eternal security, an eternal home for all who believe in him. The same way the mustard seed provides for the birds of the air. Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, anyone who does the will of God by believing in his son, Jesus Christ, will be welcomed into that kingdom. Now that's all good to know, isn't it? God is growing his kingdom by his power, not yours, not mine. And that kingdom is growing even if much of the world doesn't think twice about it and can't even see it. God's doing all of it in his time, even if it feels awfully slow to us. And this kingdom will result in an eternal harvest that will be impossible to ignore, 
that will bless all who trust in it, even if many are tempted to dismiss it now. But why tell these parables here at this part in the story? Why share them with the disciples now? And again, what do these parables have to do with us? Well, if you look back in the story of the Gospel of Mark, the parts we've covered so far, Jesus' ministry hasn't exactly been all roses up to this point, especially at the end of chapter 3. I mean, sure, the miracles are undeniable. The crowds have been impressive. And Jesus is clearly a gifted teacher, very charismatic. But not everyone has been on board with him. The religious leaders... The people who supposedly know God better than anyone else are working to destroy him. Jesus' own brothers, the people who grew up with him, have tried to seize him, thinking he's out of his mind. At this point, Jesus' disciples, who can't even understand most of Jesus' teachings themselves, might be unsure about all of this. They might be a bit discouraged. They may be wondering if leaving jobs and families and homes to follow this guy was the right choice. They may be scared that they placed their bet on the wrong horse. But Jesus reassures them with the parables of chapter 4. Not all will believe in him. But that's not an accident. It's not a failure. It's not a reason to panic. The kingdom will grow. God will make sure of it, even if they can't see it and the world ignores it. And God's kingdom may be small and unimpressive now. Like we sang, it may seem pretty poor and powerless. But one day it will be great. And eventually the mystery of who Jesus is, the secret of his kingdom, will be revealed. Someday it will all make sense. And someday it will all be worth it. It hasn't been. And it won't be smooth or quick or easy. But eventually it will all be clear. Perhaps we Christians today can use the same reminders and encouragements that the disciples got in Mark chapter 4. We can be easily discouraged as well. But not everyone will believe in Jesus. And that's not a failure on God's part. It's not a failure on your part. And it doesn't mean the gospel isn't true. It's good for us to remember that God's kingdom is growing and will grow, even though you can't always see it. And even when it feels like we're losing ground. The world might write Jesus and his disciples off as small, insignificant, and irrelevant. They might write us off with him. But one day he will return, and one day his kingdom will be great. We're confident in this because we know the secret of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The secret that not even the disciples knew at this point in the story. We know about his death, and we know about his resurrection. And we know that someday, even though it might seem like it's a long time coming, Jesus will return again. His kingdom will be established once and for all. Everything will be clear. Everything will make sense. And it will all be worth the wait. 
And so knowing all of this from the past and knowing what's coming in the future ought to give us a great sense of confidence, assurance, joy, and even courage in the present. We can serve God now, even when we face opposition, even when we're tempted with discouragement, even when the kingdom looks small and tiny and irrelevant and even pointless. We can serve faithfully, knowing the mystery and secret of God's glorious kingdom that all revolves around Christ. So does not everyone you share the gospel with believe it? Does not everyone who knows you're a Christian agree with or support you in your faith? Are there some who sneer at you, thinking you're naive, backwards, misguided, or unenlightened? Are you mocked for believing all this stuff about Jesus, which seems pretty far-fetched? Death, resurrection, second coming. Do people think you're crazy for investing so much time, so much money, so much effort in looking forward to this supposed kingdom of God that seems pretty invisible right now? Are you tempted to doubt or discouragement yourself? Well, remember these parables about the God, the kingdom of God. Remember that it's real. Remember that it's growing. And remember that it's coming. And press on in following Christ. Even though the road may be hard, the wait may be long, and the results of your labor or the kingdom's advances aren't always quick and aren't always obvious. One day it will all be seen. One day it will all make sense. And one day it will all be worth it. In Matthew 13, Jesus gives several other parables about the kingdom of God. He says that God's kingdom may seem like weeds mixed in with a crop right now. Or bad fish mixed in with a good catch. But one day, eventually, God will sort it all out. He says the kingdom of God will grow and expand like yeast and dough that results in a loaf of bread. Not always visible. Not always obvious. But it's there. And it's growing. The kingdom of God is like a priceless treasure in a field or a one of a kind pearl. Something that is worth giving up everything else you have to gain it. And how does one gain access into this kingdom that is worth so much? By faith in Jesus Christ. By believing that he is the son of God who died for sinners on the cross rose victoriously from the grave and one day will come again in power and glory and reveal God's kingdom once and for all. So as Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, even if it isn't always quick, isn't always painless, isn't always obvious, isn't always evident. Seek first the kingdom of God. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the saying that sometimes seems cliche, sometimes seems a little cheesy, might even seem a little unhelpful, that you work in mysterious ways. 
And even though it is a bit of a cliche, and even though it might get used a little too much, there's some truth to it. You do sometimes work in mysterious ways. You work in ways that we can't see. You work in ways that we don't always fully understand. You work in ways that aren't always obvious. You work in ways that we might say we wouldn't do it that way if we were in charge. But Father, we trust you. We know you. We love you. We believe in you. And Father, we know that you have our good at heart. As we read in the Gospel of Luke, it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And so, Father, help us seek the kingdom, even when it seems hard to see, even when not everything makes sense, even when we're tired or frustrated or discouraged, wondering if all these labors and all these efforts, all our faith is really going anywhere. Father, remind us that your kingdom is growing and will grow even when we can't see it even when it's not obvious, even when we're wondering whether or not it's there, your kingdom is real. Your kingdom has come, and your kingdom is coming with Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would sustain us as we wait, sustain us as we work, sustain us as we follow and believe and worship and obey. And, Father, thank you for this promise that we have, that even though the kingdom isn't always obvious now, We look forward to it with joy. We look forward to it with with anticipation. And we look forward to it and know we have a place in it because of what Jesus has done for us. Again, we love you. We worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. And we seek your kingdom. Amen.